The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What does it mean to be present? to try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. If you're listening to this podcast and you are not a friend or family member, you might not know that I live in San Diego. So I'm assuming anyone listening is a friend or family member and they already know this. But if you're not, um, I am here in beautiful, uh, sunny Southern California. As a San Diego resident, I know that I really don't have a lot to complain about as far as the weather here. I mean, it's beautiful all the time. The majority of the time, the weather is sunny and in the 70s, usually, until this year. Now, we had a very bizarre event happen here in San Diego. We have something that we experience that we call May gray and June gloom. And these are days when the marine layer just descends on San Diego and it's cloudy most of the day. Well, this year, we experienced grapeful, so we had grapeful, May gray, and June gloom. So it was cloudy most of April, as well as May and June. And it was really a downer, I have to say. It was a downer mood-wise. A lot of people were way more depressed than usual. And I actually had people cancel plans with me because of this. So I was really interested when I had a chance to find out more about what is called seasonal affective disorder. So a book came across my desk by my guest today, Dr. Norman Rosenthal, and I found out he was actually the first person who described seasonal affective disorder, and he's an authority on the subject. So he's written a new book called Defeating SAD, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons, and he offers an up-to-date guide with advice on how to overcome the miseries that millions of people experience with the changing seasons. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rosenthal. Thank you. I'm happy that you could join me today and kind of enlighten people on this because honestly, I mean, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and then I moved to San Diego. So I've never lived in snow or gray or horrible weather like that. So the spring that I experienced this year in San Diego was really unique 
because I've never really been in that long of a period of extended gray. And so I started to really sympathize with people that have to live with horrible weather in the winter months. It could be three or four months, right, of just gray, cold and all of that. So I was interested in how people's moods change because I really noticed an effect on my mood over the gray period this year. So tell me a little bit for people that don't know about seasonal affective disorder, because you also talk about something called the winter blues, and there's a little bit of a difference, right? So maybe you could just educate us on the terminology. Well, thank you. Yes, our brains are seasonal brains. Even though when I grew up or we all grew up, we may have thought that human beings had somehow escaped the biological forces that afflict other animals, like hibernating bears or the uh, weasel that loses its dark fur and becomes white in the snow, or the deers who have to compete for the right to mate by growing antlers. Um, All these were subject, but then they were just lower animals and we were above it all. And it turns out that that's not true that we are seasonal as well. Now, that said, everybody is different. Some people don't feel it at all, and other people are completely bedridden during the winter. So uh, it is that much of a difference across individuals. And I remember the first years that I was working with seasonal affective disorder, we had a house with a patio and the patio had some azaleas growing and the pink one always came up first and stayed on last and the yellow one came next and it was as though there was a seasonal clock inside the genetics of all these different uh, plants, all these different azaleas. And that is how I viewed my patients, that they had these seasonal clocks inside their brains and some turned off earlier, and some turned off later, and in the worst cases, it can last for five, six months of the year in in a dark climate, and on the other hand, you've got, for every one person with seasonal affective disorder, SAD, the severe form, you've got three people with a milder form that we call the winter blues. Okay, well, that makes sense. Because I was thinking of this that I haven't really experienced what would be quote winter blues, just in my experience of growing up in Florida, and then moving here. So I've never really lived in that kind of extended situation of really bad gray weather. But I did really experience, you know, feelings of uh, depression and, and anxiety over this period of just gray solid for weeks of no sun. So uh, I I can understand where with some people it would really be a a big problem. So you say in the book that defeating this SAD is a combination of different approaches. And also I I noticed in the book, it's interesting how you go through the whole year and it's seasonal. And I want to get, I want to get to that, but I want to find out what do you mean by different approaches? What's the best way to tackle this? Well, It's particularly important because there's been this very dramatic and novel treatment in the form of light therapy. And that turns out to be really fundamental and really important. And I go into it in two chapters. I go into all the specifics 
not only on what makes the light work and how you get it to work, but actually what kind of fixtures should you purchase and how do you use them and how do you set them up and when do you use them? So I really go into detail. I don't want to shortchange what has been a major focus of my research and is a major way of helping people. That said, I think what I've realized is that a big problem is that people say, you know, I use the lights and I'm still only 25% better. And then I say, well, maybe we could do X and that'll add another 10 or 15%. And maybe we can do Y. And by the time we do Z, you're feeling pretty good. So now you're asking, what is X, Y, and Z? It is cognitive behavior therapy. It's getting outdoors. It's exercising, especially in sunlight. Um, it's using negative ions. And I have a chapter on that. It's proper nutrition, it's proper care, it's all these things put together. And if you do all of these things, then something magical happens and you're now able to actually enjoy all the seasons that previously oppressed you so badly. Well, I think it's interesting about the light therapy. And I was reading a lot about that because I've noticed that I feel really jumpy or irritable when we close up the house to keep the heat out in the summertime. And I also had an experience. So back in my DJ days, I was a rock DJ back in the day and I worked the overnight shift and I did that for maybe two years. So my whole life was turned upside down because I was working from uh, like 11 at night until six in the morning and then trying to sleep during the day. And it was just a disaster because my whole, my whole body clock was changed. I was trying to sleep when the light was coming up. I mean, I would, I would go out and I'd try to bribe people. Like right before we did this interview, there's a leaf blower outside. So I had my husband go get rid of them. I would go out and give people money and I would just say, go away, just go away so I can sleep. So I, I, I can understand how light is so important because as, as mammals were, we're conditioned to wake up at certain times and go to sleep at certain times, right? So we are really affected by light. Absolutely. You know, it's our so-called circadian system. And every organism that we know of has some kind of circadian system that gears the timing of all of our activities. Rest, activity, waking, sleeping, fasting, eating, all of these and hundreds of other behaviors and chemical processes are geared to these circadian rhythms. So yes, and light, light is a critical, what they call in German, a Zeitgeber, a time giver. Yes. A, a time cue that orchestrated these circadian rhythms. And I've noticed just how light can, you know, you've heard of the mood lighting and, you know, how it can really affect your mood. And it's so true. And the more I thought about it, how sometimes we're in my office, I'll want to turn off the light or being under fluorescent light at some office jobs that I've had in the past, it seemed like everybody was aggravated and irritable at that place because of where we're forced to work, you know, in, in cubicles with this light beaming down. Right. And, and, you know, although nobody knows exactly how light does it, just in the last few years, they have found that there is a direct center in the brain from which the eye communicates and into which the eye 
influences mood in the person. So um, that was very exciting because previously they said, look, it's working through the body clock, it's working through the circadian system, it's working by making animals more or less active, which it does. But now over and above circadian effects, activity effects, there is this direct brain effect of light that is so exciting and that you've just been enumerating the different ways light can make us feel. Yes. And I was reading that women suffer more from this, maybe sensitivity than men do. And do you have any idea why that is? Or I do. You know, in the course of evolution, I think it's been more important that the seasonality of women gets developed rather than men because a human pregnancy goes on for nine months and in those nine months the person needs to be sedentary or at least not as active they need to be able to sleep more they need to be able to eat more and nourish the growing embryo uh, while the men are out hunting like all year round so it's more important from a point of view of evolution that the women have these very definite seasonal uh, changes and that those changes are locked in to, you know, that you get pregnant more at certain times and, and have children more at certain times and uh, that it is more a function of importance in women than in men from an evolutionary point of view. That's interesting. And that totally makes sense. So go just going back to the light a little bit, because I, I'm very affected by light and I'm, I'm interested in how this affects other people. And you go into a lot of detail in the book. And I really hope that people pick this up because there's so much great information in here. And I think we can all benefit wherever we fall on the spectrum of feeling affected by this. Our lives can improve, can improve by the uh, information that you're sharing. So I think that it that people need to pick this up. So when people are checking out these light boxes, and there's different ones I saw on Amazon that, you know, you can get the high priced one for 300 bucks or the cheaper ones are around $25. So it's kind of a range of, of how these work. But I was reading that you were saying with your eyes that the light, you have to face the light, right? When you're using these boxes. So that's the best way to really utilize them. And then also you'll have to, sometimes you have to play around with it where you might need to get two or place them strategically in different different areas. So you do have yes. to hit or miss a little, right? I think, well, I call it experimentation. You know, right. um, Edison, they said you took a thousand and one attempts to create the light bulb. And he said, no, it was just one experiment with a thousand and one aspects or parts to it, you know? And I think anybody that's a scientist realizes that you don't always hit it right the first time that you have to and that's why after we found that light therapy was helpful we then explored what was it did it come through the eyes or the skin and we did a study for that you know did color make a difference did time of day make a difference so we tried to establish what aspects of light were most useful and potent and it was the morning in most people White light was best. Uh, you didn't want to use it too late at night because you could keep people up um, and so on and so forth. And we, you know, gradually, piece by piece, 
everybody came on board because at first there was a lot of skepticism. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That's true, because I have to admit that even I was skeptical until I read your book, that it was something that really exists, but a lot of people do suffer from this. So what you're sharing is is so helpful. So in your research, you found different areas and, and places of the world and in the country. So is it kind of obvious that maybe people in Seattle would suffer from this more than someone in Miami? Or what did you find as far as Parts well, of the it country. is correct. Yeah, we've done a latitudinal study. It was on the East Coast, and it went all the way up from uh, Maine or New Hampshire, all the way down to Florida. And we found that at the at the border to Canada, the prevalence of SAD was almost ten percent, and then down in Florida, it was one and a half percent. But when it came to disliking summer, it was a reverse picture. So. Right. And we're seeing that now with, well, the extreme heat that we're experiencing is unprecedented from anything that I think any of us have ever experienced. But there is a, a similar experience that people are having in the winter. Now they're having in the summer, right? Because they're shutting things up to keep the heat out. People aren't going outside. They're avoiding the sun. So there is still mood disorders in the summertime too. Absolutely. This is becoming more and more prevalent with the climate change. That, you, you know, Hippocrates said that of humans, some are well or ill-adapted to the winter and some are well or ill-adapted to the summer. And he recognized that there were different tendencies because if you think about it, both winter and summer require that you keep your internal environment constant and consistent. And that means uh, a whole lot of biological processes have to be operating. And when the temperature gets too much out of gear, as in the summer, especially nowadays, that throws that whole set of uh, chemical responses and reactions out of kilter. And likewise, in the winter, when the darkness is too great, that can do the same in certain people. And it's vulnerable people for whatever reason. And it's obviously genetically in infected and in influenced, shall we say, from the uh, very beginning, you know, and then you get the exposure and that makes it worse. So I, I talk about the causes of SAD, the winter kind, as a three-legged stool, genetic, stress, 
and light. Those are the three things that affect it. What affects the summer version that we don't know so much, but um, the the heat and the the heat and the excessive light are likely to be influential causes, and then maybe there's a genetic component there as well. Right. And they're going to have to do a lot more research now as I keep reading, this is becoming more and more of the norm that we're going to experience these intense summers as well as intense winters. So we're going to have to do a lot more work. Now you said something really interesting, and that is that when you would go indoors in the hot summer and close the curtains, you would feel irritable or a little down. There are some people who paradoxically get the light deprived problem in the summer because they're indoors with the wind with the curtains shut and so that may be for you replicated what may gray and june gloom is when that light blockade occurs through natural causes yes i definitely feel that although sometimes i crave the the cool dark cave of the room. <laughs> so sometimes that's pleasant. I mean, what do you what do you think for you? What is the most pleasant temperature? Would you rather it be like 72 all the time? You know, I came from South Africa where the weather was really very pleasant and there was a lot of sunshine all year round. The winters could get cold up in Johannesburg 6000 feet above sea level. So the winters could get cold, but by and large, the temperatures were mild. And then when I came to New York, when I came in the summer, the days were so long, I had this exuberance that was quite unusual to the extent that I experienced it. And then I remember that first daylight savings time change and the darkness fell so early in the afternoon and it was shocking to me but after all these years up here I've actually come to love the seasons I was I was thinking uh, that one learns to love one's enemies but really they aren't your enemies they bring their own joys so here's what I try to do with this book I try and take people from where they are and help them minimize their suffering and their troubles and then let them experience the joy of the season because they're not being ruled by their biology anymore. Yes, that's so great because there is joy in every season. I mean, you can find wonderful things about the summer. You can get out, get out in the water. Um, autumn is great. You can have hot cocoa, sit by the fire. So there, there are all beautiful things about all of the seasons and to be able to enjoy all of those is important. It is. And I mentioned that the northern countries, the Scandinavian countries, have got special words for the comfort of winter. Higa is the Danish version of coziness and hot mulled cider or hot cocoa or drinks and friends sitting around by a fire and the companionship and the coziness of it. And in uh, so, so that is in Denmark and in Sweden and Norway, they have similar words for similar concepts. So they've learned to make the most of that. But on the other hand, when summer comes in Scandinavia, um, a colleague of mine said, don't try and, and, be, and reach an academic contact during the summer. 
they're out there fishing in the streams and hiking in the mountains and swimming. And the summer is a time of happiness and partying. And the winter is a time of being serious and hunkering down. Well, I need to spend more time in Europe, <laughs> for sure, because I think their sensibilities about these things are a lot more evolved than here in the States, it seems. We're all about like work, work, work and, you know, huddle, huddle in your office and try to get as many things done rather than tune into the seasons and, you know, become closer to that. I think we'd be a lot healthier and happier if we did. And you mentioned some other interesting things in the book, just to touch on that, you know, you said it is a combination of a couple of, of different factors to really deal with SAD, including diet, sleep. Sleep has got to be a big thing too. Uh, exercise, social connections, uh, and meditation. So really all of those factors in connection with working with light therapy and things like that, it seems like with SAD that there are so many things you can try without even going to medication first, that, yes, that's such that's a positive true. thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's what I like to do. I like to, you know, if I can do something without medicines, I will. But if I need the medicines, I'll take them. That to me is sensible. So when somebody comes to me with a problem, I try and handle it without medications. But if I need medications, then I need them, you know? Right. So people shouldn't feel weak or demonized if they do have to use some kind of medication for their depression, that it helps. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is not a religion and we're breaking a religion here by taking a medicine because we want to be so pure. That, that's right. silly. I'm, I'm, I'm a pragmatic person. Yes. No, I like, I like that approach. So another interesting thing in your book that came up was in your research, it shows that suicide rates are actually higher in the spring than in the winter. I thought that was interesting because you would think the common misconception is that people are depressed over the holidays and that's when uh, the rates would go up, but it, in actuality, it isn't. No, it's, it's, and it sort of, coincides with our clinical impressions that oftentimes when you're most worried about a person committing suicide is when they're depressed and agitated at the same time. Um, and that can happen um, in the springtime because they can still be depressed and yet the light is expanding and that's an activating influence. I had two patients in the winter, I, I referenced them in the book, both of whom felt suicidal in the midst of their winter depression, and they were unable to galvanize themselves to do anything about it, thankfully, um, as opposed to the spring when people are more energized. Right. I thought that was so interesting. I remember talking to um, an author named David Kessler, who's a grief expert, and I asked him that question. I go, don't people die more in the winter than in the spring. And he said, no, they pretty much die at a regular rate throughout the year. But I was trying to make the case that I thought more people die or commit suicide in the winter and I was wrong. So now you're doubly proving that I was wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thank you for, for clarifying that for I me. Actually, I'm not sure of what the seasonal rhythm of dying is. Um, I think, I think I would like to revisit that because I know that there's a seasonal rhythm of birth 
Um, and yeah, so so it would be really interesting. I thought there was a seasonal rhythm of dying, but to some extent, all seasonal rhythms have been flattened out by artificial life. But to a large extent, they actually haven't. You know, there are natural forces that are potent and that break through all the human interventions and inventions that we have concocted. Right. So really, we're because we are so disconnected, most of us in modern society from the natural rhythms of, say, an agrarian, you know, rural culture where people were up with the sun and working with the animals and planting and really more in touch with the the seasons of the earth. Now we have to come up with other ways to adapt through light boxes and heating and cooling mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Well, it's it's part of our continued efforts to overcome natural adversity. You know, even clothes represent a wish to insulate our bodies and sunblock to block out the, you know, solar radiation and on and on and on. We've done all these things with our ingenious brains. And so this is just an extension of an old principle. Right. We don't like to be uncomfortable at all, I don't think. I don't. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I try to take the most uh, pleasant and most comfortable way, usually, in a, in every situation. Um, and I did. So I did want to ask you one more thing, though, about vitamin D, because I had never, it wasn't really in my consciousness until a few years ago. And I had some blood work done, and I was very low in D. And I started taking 5,000 IUs of, of vitamin D3, which isn't really a quote vitamin, right? In the traditional sense. But I did notice my sleep improved. Um, you know, my mood did improve. And I think people aren't aware that they're low in this. So how is that important, vitamin D, in your experience? Well, the story is that vitamin D has been recognized as more important in recent times it was always known to be important in bone formation because it's important in calcium absorption. Um, it was always known, or always ever since my early medical days, that it came from two main sources. The one was the diet and the one was the sun on the skin. Um, more recently, it's become apparent that vitamin D is very important for multiple functions through the body, including the heart and other organs, uh, other than the bones, and that we don't get enough in our diet. They used to enrich milk with vitamin D. I remember growing up with that, but they don't anymore. And a lot of us are not on um diets that are heavy in vitamin D. There's not a lot of it that naturally comes from diet, um, you know, unless you eat a lot of cod liver oil, which most of us don't, or fish oil. Uh, so the diet is deficient, and now we're blocking the sunlight with our sunblock. So on the one hand, there are a lot of new functions that have been described for vitamin D, and there are a lot of realization that we don't have enough through natural sources. So I know I supplement myself with vitamin D. I don't have quite as much as you do, but the lucky thing about it is you can measure its level in the blood. So you can see if it's within normal range. Um, so vitamin D is good. Most of us don't get enough. Yes, it can be supplemented, and but you mustn't overdo it because it is a fat-soluble vitamin, which means it accumulates in the body. 
uh, if you take too much of it. So all of those things are interesting factoids about vitamin D and also arguments for use, having enough, measuring it, making sure you haven't got uh, too little or too much. Now, now comes the downer. There's no evidence that it helps people with SAD. So that doesn't matter. It still could be useful. It's just maybe that that's not the mechanism. And we've looked at it and we haven't found any connection, which doesn't mean to say that some very clever person can't come along and do it better and make a new experiment. But we've got to uncouple these ideas. Yes, it's very good. No, there's no evidence that specifically it's good for SAD. So if people are listening and they're thinking, you know, some of this is resonating with me, I'm I'm noticing with seasons, you know, moods are going up and down. How would you suggest they talk to their doctor about incorporating some of these uh, therapies that you share in the book? Because some, maybe their therapist isn't really aware of, of SAD or how can people bring it up with their healthcare professionals? Well, the good news Um, about SAD is that there's so much you can do on your own. And that's why I wrote this book, which is basically an empowering book. Because I don't know that a lot of doctors know a lot about what the seasons do or don't do, or anybody for that matter. It's kind of stayed as a bit of an arcane specialty, which it shouldn't be because we're all subject to it. But, you know, doctors are very busy people these days, and they don't have much time to sit down and give you a nice half an hour discussion on what the seasons I mean you're lucky if you can get in within the half an hour and get seen and get your antibiotic or whatever and go on your way I'm I'm not meaning to diminish people I mean everybody's got their specialty and this doesn't happen to be the specialty of most doctors or even therapists but the really good news is a lot of these things don't need a doctor I mean, if your eyes are not good, then by all means, please have them checked out before you use light therapy. But for most people, these light levels are within healthy ranges. So the light therapy has been very thoroughly tested. Negative ions, another safe intervention, um, cognitive behavior therapy, which I go into in a lot of detail. And it's really a wonderful therapy. And You can do a lot of it on your own, and there are other books that expand on it even further, Uh, but I give you the basic principles and habits, healthy habits, um, meditation, exercise, not only aerobic, but but strength training. All of these things are fantastic, and when you combine them together, you can lead an absolutely wonderful life, and it doesn't necessarily have to involve the doctor. I mean, yes, if you're really depressed and these things aren't working and you're down and your work is suffering, your personal relationships are suffering, get into the doctor. I'm not anti-doctor. I am a doctor and I do have patients and I do treat some of them with medications, even more than one medication. A lot of people come to me with complicated problems and basically I'm in the whatever works school of medicine safely and carefully, of course. These are powerful things. I've got a whole chapter there on medications. I've got a whole sheet on the different antidepressants and how they work. I mean, I put it in for completeness sake. I put it in to say, hey, listen, that's not the basic thrust of the book. 
but sometimes people really need it. And I've written about it. I've written a whole chapter on the medications. So I'm just terribly excited about all the things that people can do to feel better, to live fully and all year round. Well, I learned a lot by reading this. And I think a lot of people will feel very empowered at things that they can try and things that they can do to really get a handle on it and improve their mood and improve their depression. Because so many of us are just going through life miserable and thinking that this is how life is supposed to be like a drudge and a chore. And it shouldn't be that way. And you're really offering some great advice and some great information. So I appreciate you spending so much time with me here today. And I hope people get this book, Defeating SAD, A Guide to Health and Happiness Through All Seasons, Dr. Norman Rosenthal. And is there a place that people can reach you, a website you could share, or if they have questions or anything like that? Absolutely. NormanRosenthal.com. It's that simple. NormanRosenthal.com. Check me out. I'm on all the social media. Um, I've even, now I put my face behind my hand here, but I've even started doing some TikToks. You did? (laughs) I did. I, you know, with my grandson, he loves brain teasers. And so we do brain teasers and they're so much fun because they're fun for him who's age eight and they're fun for me who's more than eight. And um, so, uh, you know, I did a couple of brain teasers. I threw out the, the gauntlet to the re, to the listener or the viewer and say, hey, here's a brain teaser. See if you can do this one. And um, so I'm trying to get to people where they are, basically, is what I really am saying. Well, that's so, smart. That's smart to do. And come find out more about my work. I've written a lot of other things I've written about meditation. Uh, I've written about the gift of adversity. And the last book before this is The Healing Power of Poetry, Poetry Rx. So I'm a very curious individual because so many things fascinate me. Well, I'm fascinated to find out a little bit more. And you're very brave to do TikTok. I haven't ventured into the TikTok world yet, but I know that it's out there and I have to do it. So I'm going to overcome my fear of video and get my face out there. And normanrosenthal.com is where to find you. And I so appreciate you joining me. And I hope that if people like this podcast and they're listening, please leave a review. Follow me wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. I'm out there all over the place. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And please check out all the other wonderful podcasters that are part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And thanks for listening today. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind, Body, Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.